Well, good evening, my friends. Merry Christmas is here. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that the joy of Christmas is ours to lay hold of once again. That uh, we can come and reflect and worship and celebrate and be in awe of the reality that he who was a king became a child in a manger that he might save all manner of people from every tribe and nation and tongue and people and that we might gather with him one day in a celebration much greater than this one around his throne. Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the realities that we can talk about and read about and describe and uh, wonder at, but can't fully comprehend. And Father, I pray tonight as we worship you that you would be pleased and that the meditations of our hearts and the words of our mouths would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, we've come again to reflect on and to praise God for the realities of the old, old story of how God invaded history in the humblest and most amazing way you can imagine. Uh, as Ashley read to us there in Luke 2, you have a betrothed peasant girl giving birth to her firstborn son in an obscure village whose primary uh, contemporary claim to fame in her day was as a place for raising sheep for the temple in Jerusalem and whose uh, ancient claim to fame was as the birthplace of a king uh, named David, who was a shepherd out in those same hills, and one day became king, and he, but he was a thousand years prior to Mary's own day, a thousand years ago. And she and her betrothed husband were from the same tribe, descendants of that same king, but in their day there was another king who ruled, and he was at least a thousand miles off to the west over in Rome among the seven hills. He was the emperor of the Roman Empire and that king had commanded all of his subjects, all of their people to return to their ancestral homes to be registered for probably for taxation purposes. One thing all governments want to do is collect taxes. And so off this little couple went to Bethlehem and as they arrive, so does their child. And this little couple had each received an angelic messenger, an angelic visitor, telling them that the child in Mary's womb was in fact the Messiah, the long-awaited deliverer of Israel, but his arrival was not impressive. Apparently, whatever extended family they had in Bethlehem did not welcome them because 
Luke tells us there was no room for them in the inn. Well, why would they go to the inn? This is where they were from. Well, because whatever family they had had already turned them away. Made it clear that an unwed mother was not welcome in their house. So they went to the inn, couldn't find room there. The innkeeper presumably put them up with the livestock of all the people who were also visiting Bethlehem that evening. Just think about that for a second. Really think about it. I know you've seen a million and one Christmas pageants where you see that scene. But the Savior of the world, the Messiah of Israel, the Son of David, the Son of God, wrapped in rags and laying in a feed trough for animals. And the only hints that this tiny little bundle of a Jewish boy might be anything special come to this couple secondhand. Some shepherds in the fields nearby see angels and the glory of the Lord shining around them. And one of the angels announces to the men the good news that the Christ, the Messiah, has been born. And that they could find him, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and, and lying in a manger. And the angels shout their praise to God. And then they depart. And they leave these shepherds wondering and amazed and motivated to go off to Bethlehem to find this little baby, this little miracle. And when they do, they tell Mary and Joseph all about the things they've just witnessed about the angels, about the glory of God, about the good news to all people, about the sign of their baby, about the fact that, according to the angels, this little child is the Messiah, and glory to God in the highest. I, I, don't, I don't know if you can quite imagine that scene, but imagine, if you will, these shepherds. They smell like sheep, and they're probably not too well-dressed probably kind of stinky and ratty and bearded and got the remains of whatever they ate last kind of still tucked in their facial hair, right? And here they are fussing over this little baby. And who knows how long they stood there. I think it was probably a while. But then they go back to their jobs and back to their flocks even as they continued to praise God and to spread the news about all they had seen and heard. And in the midst of all that, we read this one line here in verse 19 of chapter 2. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Luke doesn't give us all the details. We know that a few days later, the boy is circumcised that within a couple of months she takes the boy to the temple for the purification rites that followed the birth of a child and for the sacrifices that would be made for the dedication of the firstborn son to God. And at some point after that, magi from the east visit them, by which time they're in a house, uh, she and Joseph and the infant. And then after that, she and Joseph and the infant have to flee to Egypt for a while, and then when they're able to return because they're afraid of the son of the ruler they had to flee, they have to go back home to Nazareth, to this little town. 
the place they'd started this journey. What did Mary think? It says that, that she treasured all these things in her, in her heart and she pondered on them. What did she think about all these things? I don't know, to be honest. But in my sanctified imagination, as I have treasured these things and pondered them in my heart, I want, you to, I want to invite you to do that with me as well. You know, surely as a young virgin, which she was, and remained until after Jesus was born, hearing that you will become pregnant by uh, God directly, without a man, and you will bear the Son of God and the Messiah of your people, must have been absolutely overwhelming. And then, in fact, on top of that, you're going to bear the social stigma attached to being unwed and pregnant within Judaism at that time. It must have seemed both a blessing and a curse from God all wrapped in a bundle. In my mind, I think she probably needed the angelic visitors and needed to hear from the shepherds about the angels' shouts and the glory in the hills to reassure her and remind her and remind Joseph that they hadn't imagined all of this. That they hadn't imagined these angelic messages they had received while she was still pregnant. Because who had ever heard of a virgin-born child? No one. No one before. No one since. That's not the way babies come into the world. And given their circumstances, laying the child in a trough and wrapping him in rags, it must have seemed completely incongruent. If this is really the king of creation, how can he be born to peasants and surrounded by livestock? And yet, the angels were there. And they did shout glory to God in the highest. Which must mean that this all could not have been a dream. God really was and is keeping His covenant with Israel and bringing her Messiah into the world to be not just the Savior of the Jews, but also, as, uh, as little Simeon says, a light to the Gentiles too. And it really is amazing and true that God really has come and dwelt among us. And He snuck into our history almost as inconspicuously as possible. And yet He was proclaimed and recognized for who He was by people from the day He was born. That's an old, old story. But one that I never get tired of reading or telling or hearing because it absolutely amazes me every time. How can an infinite God, after all, be born? That can't happen, can it? How can He who dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen nor can see come down into the filth and sweat and corruption of this world 
and become one of us. Why did he pick a time when his people were crushed down rather than ruling? Why did he who was worthy of infinite glory stoop to such humble circumstances as these? Why did he who possessed infinite, unlimited power not immediately pull down all the pretenders from their thrones and establish his own? God's ways in the incarnation of Jesus are mysterious beyond my comprehension. And pondering them and treasuring them in my heart only increases the number of questions that I have in my sense of wonder and worship. I hope that this Christmas Eve, as we ponder these things together, that it does the same for you. That it increases your awe and wonder and sense of worship at the God who came and did these things in this way. God came near. God entered our world in the wildest, most amazing, and yet humblest manner possible. And my prayer is that you would never fail to be amazed and grateful that all these things were necessary and all these things were done because God came to offer salvation to you and to me and to bring us into His family as His children. I did not deserve that. And by the way, neither do you. There is nothing that I have done that merits inclusion in God's family. There's nothing you have done either. In fact, if we're all getting what we deserve here, we're all going to be away from God for eternity. But nevertheless, God came near to us to offer us salvation. He became one of us. God became a man that men might be called the sons of God. That women might be called the daughters of the King. And through faith in the one born in Bethlehem and laid in the manger, who grew to become a man, to die on a cross, to be raised from the dead, if, if you put your faith in that one, you receive membership in God's family. And that's an amazing thing. Even more amazing than what God did to enter our world is how He left it. Offering salvation to multitudes of whoever would come near to Him in response. And by the way, He is coming back. He is coming back. No one would believe me if I told you this story was true. And yet it is. God really did come into our world, born of a virgin, laid in a manger, worshipped by shepherds and angels, honored by magi from the east and given gifts, and announced 
prior to the day he was born to be the king, the son of God. And he is coming back. And when he comes back, he will overturn every wicked ruler. He will overthrow every proud heart that has rebelled against him so that peace might finally reign over the world and that evil would finally and fully be brought to an end. Every kind of evil. From thorns and thistles to diseases and storms to even sin and death itself. Death itself will be overturned. And we will live forever with the King. All things will one day be put right by this man born of Mary in the manger. He is coming back. So, men and women, my friends, let's treasure all these things in our hearts tonight. And let's ponder them, not just today, but tomorrow and in the days and weeks and months to come. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, as the psalmist said, like the sand on the sea and the stars in the night sky are your thoughts. And vast is the sum of them. And we cannot count them. We cannot comprehend them. And they are too wonderful for us to lay hold of. Father, we pray that tonight, as we worship, as we sing, as we contemplate this story, the true tale of the coming of the Son of God. Father, I pray that you would help us with what little we do grasp of these things. To, to wonder with awe and worship and to give you praise as we ponder and as we treasure these things in our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.